Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Good evening, friends. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the paranormal we go on this Saturday night once again. I will say I have certain subjects that you know are my favorites. UAPs, the topic of UFOs, is one of them. And tonight, a monumental show. A service member comes on this program and tells all. It doesn't get more credible in my mind than that. Let me give you a little bit of a synopsis of what we've been dealing with here and get you caught up for those who are unaware. Over time, we have heard of sightings that members of our military have had with unidentified aerial phenomenon as it's now known, UAP. Unidentified flying object was kind of yesterday's term. We've evolved. UAP is the new term. Evolve with us. The fact of the matter is the history goes back decades. It goes back beyond decades. A lot of times we don't hear about them until after the tour of duty is over, after the service has ended for fear of retribution, and whatnot. These are people that we have trusted to protect us, to guard our borders. They're credible individuals. And these stories go back, as I say, a long time. Mid part of the, uh, well, about 2015, 2016, and even in 2017, In the first couple of years of doing this program, occasionally we would come across a story of some sort of encounter that the military was having with an unidentified object. And then we were given a Christmas gift in late 2017 through a revelation in a New York Times article 
And slowly but surely came the release of videos. The Tic Tac, the Go Fast, the Gimbal videos. The ones that we had in late 2017, and then I believe it was last year, during the pandemic, they resurfaced. And they were put on the stage, and a lot of mainstream organizations covered them. But the fact of the matter is those videos were already out there. They were not new videos, but what was new is that the Pentagon said, look, yes, they're legitimate, these videos. And so they went ahead and released them officially. And there's even a a, a government website where you can find those videos on. You can download them. So they're real. They're legitimate. They exist. Those videos are authentic. The fact of the matter is we had those in 2017. But behind those encounters are the stories of the men and women who served. And I'm so honored to have one of them here tonight. His name is Matthew Roberts. He's a former U.S. Navy service member who was stationed on board the USS Theodore Roosevelt in 2015, which was when the gimbal video was taken. And it has now become an infamous video. Matthew spent 16 years in the U.S. Navy as a cryptologic as a cryptologic technician. In March of 2017, he transferred to the Office of Naval Intelligence as an analyst. And while working at the birthplace of the now public UAP task force, he had frequent and often intense personal experiences with the phenomenon, which he documents in his book, Initiated, UAP, Dreams. Depression, delusions, shadow people, psychosis, sleep paralysis, and pandemics. It's a wide-ranging story. So honored to have him here on the program. As a result of his experiences, Matthew ended his 16-year career in naval intelligence right around the start of the pandemic in March of 2020. And uh, I'm so glad to have him here. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to have you back here on the program and tell your story. It's just, um, as I say, you're you're one of the heroes. Uh, you know, we should thank people like you because not everybody can do what what you do, and um, you know, it is a service. So, can you tell us about your your tour and your service and your rank and and all of that stuff? I want to give you some recognition. Um, yeah, I, I joined the Navy in uh, 2004. Uh, as a cryptologic technician, I, I did multiple, multiple deployments, uh, multiple ships. I was stationed on board, um, and um, you know, I loved every minute of it. I absolutely loved the Navy. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, will do one tour and get out, but uh, I don't know. There's just something about it that um, that I just absolutely loved. You know. I love traveling. I think that was that was the big thing. Um, and, and being in the Navy, you know, you're you're sure to be traveling all the time because the ship is you're on a ship and it's constantly moving and constantly pulling into port, so you get to see the world, you know, in in, in a way that you don't in other services. I think. Um, and so that that was the big draw of the Navy for me. Um, you know, and I, I, 
I became kind of a very seasoned um, person in my in my rate. I, I, when I left uh, the Navy, I was uh, an E6, uh, which is a petty officer first class. Um, so on board with Theodore Roosevelt, um, I was uh, I was the leading petty officer of uh, of my shop. Meaning what, Matthew? That you that you uh, uh, were were one of the the, the top in command. I, well, I was in charge of the the guys that worked under me in, in the shop that I worked in uh, on board the Theodore Roosevelt. Did you have so an was, interest in UAP as it's come to be known these days prior to enlisting? Uh, you know, I really didn't. Um. You know, it, it was something that I, I never really paid attention to. If something came on TV and it had to do with UFOs, you know, I'd kind of roll my eyes and change the channel. Um, there, there was kind of a question in the back of my mind, well, you know, does anybody really know anything about this behind closed doors? You know, and I, I kind of always wondered about that. But I had, you know, after having been in the field for many years, I had never heard anything about it. I had never seen anything up to that point so you know i had no reason to believe any of that necessarily and that's important to know because there was a point in which well your mind kind of changed on this whole thing and what was that moment well i mean for me uh the big change was obviously being stationed on board the uss theodore roosevelt um we were, you know, we were out there off the East Coast doing our workup cycle. And this was just, uh, you know, a month-long test. And they would put the whole shit through this test. And we had evaluators in my shop that were kind of evaluating how well we were doing our jobs. And they would put you in these kind of made-up scenarios to see how you would respond and what you would do. Uh, in different situations. So it was something that was, you know, working up, that's why we call it a workup, because you're working up to an appointment that you're going to do after this test. Um, so, you know, we had finished our portion of the test, and we were kind of just in my shop, sitting back, waiting to be debriefed um, and given our grade. You know, and if someone's going to come in and tell us, okay, you know, you did really well on this, maybe you need to work on that, uh, and, and, and things like that. So we were just kind of sitting back waiting for that when um, a buddy of mine from another section of intelligence came in to my shop, and he said, hey, check this out. And so I sat down at my computer, and he told me where to go, um, <laughs> and I pulled up what is now known as uh, the gimbal and go fast footage. And I watched that for the first time in 2015. And this was, this was, I think the day after it had happened. Um, but, but the reality of this is that it went on for several nights. Uh, it, it was, it was like a three or four night thing and they came back every night. Um, and so that's when I really just kind of changed my mind about this because in watching this footage, it was like, I, I could not, I couldn't make sense of what I was looking at. You know, I, I didn't understand how this thing was in the air and turning the way it did. 
Um, I couldn't see any kind of thrust coming out of it or um, any kind of aerodynamic surfaces like you would with a jet. So, um, you know, and then also in watching the GoFast footage, which seems to be just like this um, small spherical thing, you know, in the, and I mean, in, in the, in this, in clips, the pilots are also talking about, you know, what is that? We don't, because they didn't know what they were looking at either. Um, and so that was, <laughs> that was when my mind changed about all of that. And it was, you know, it was very, uh, kind of immediately very shocking um, to be sitting in a skiff you know, uh, the sensitive compartment and information facility on board the ship. Um, and I'm watching this footage and I know it's real. I know where it came from. Uh, I know this is not something that somebody manufactured. Um, and so that, you know, that to me really just brought it home. And I, and I, I felt kind of bad, uh, almost because, you know, you hear stories of things and people, claiming to have seen UFOs and in years past, they just brushed that off, you know, person flying, they don't know what they were seeing. Um, but here it was, you know, right in front of my face. And now I know it's real, you know? So Matthew, you said you saw these videos for the first time when, when everybody saw them in 2017 or, or before? Or in, in, no, in 2015, as it was happening. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So you saw these videos fairly recently after they happened. And then your reaction to them when they, I guess, came out in 2017. What was your reaction then? Uh, well, you know, I was, uh, I was a little bit shocked when they came out because, you know, I, I, the, the way that I came to know that they had been released was that, you know, I was, just sitting around my house one day and I get this text from my brother. Uh, we text back and forth all the time, you know, throughout the day. So he says to me, oh, hey, there's a UFO. There's an article in the New York Times about a UFO program at the Pentagon. And there's video. And so he sent me the links in the text. And so I, I read the article, you know, and... I, I watched the footage, and as I'm watching the footage, you know, I just, <laughs> I just got this really sinking feeling in my gut, you know, because I, I had never really spoken to my family about things that I did in the military because, you know, everything I did all day long was classified. It was not something that I was at liberty to discuss. And then I knew, you know, in watching this and reading this article that my brother would be calling me any minute um, to ask me about it. And I didn't know what I was going to say because, you know, obviously I had seen this footage before um, and I was very uncomfortable with the idea of talking about that to anyone. Um, so I, I was just, I was kind of trying to make sense of you know, why did I see this in a skiff and why am I now watching it on my cell phone? Like, how, what is, what has happened here? You know, <laughs> because I thought this stuff was classified. So, 
was this a legitimate release? I don't know. But then I started thinking about the article and about how, you know, Harry Reid was quoted in it, um, and he was the one who appropriated the money for the program. And so I thought, well, you know, this has got to be a legitimate release of this. Uh, if Harry Reid is talking about it, I mean, he was the former Senate majority leader, you yeah. know. So I, you know, my brother called me um, and said, hey, you know, did you see the article? And I said, yeah. And he's like, hey, did you watch the footage? <laughs> I said, yeah, I did. It's pretty interesting. But then he asked me, have you ever seen anything like that? And I kind of choked. Um, because I just, it just felt so wrong to be talking about this, you know, um, because it was not, not something that I ever did. Um, and, uh, but eventually I was just like, you know, yeah, I've, I've seen this footage before. I was there when it was taken. It was taken on the Theodore Roosevelt in 2015. And, you know, and the line was just kind of dead. And he really didn't have anything to say after that. Um, but I think that he was just going through that same moment that I had in 2015, you know, because he, he's just watching this footage and then he talks to me and he knows I work at the Office of Naval Intelligence and I've been in Intel for 16 years. And so for him to hear me say that, yes, this is legitimate and I've seen it before, um, kind of brought it home and made it real for him as well. And so then... It, we kind of went through a wave where there was, a, a, you know, some more information that came out. And then it was like uh, last year during the pandemic where there was another release. And what it actually was, was the Pentagon saying, hey, look, these are real. And at that point, they had to officially release them then themselves. Yes, that's, that's correct. Um and uh, from what I can tell, I guess Chris Mellon was the one, he, he's talked about how he was the one who um, basically leaked these uh, videos. <laughs> I, I did not know that at the time. Um, you know, uh, but he, he was, I mean, the number three person at the Pentagon at one point. You know, and I think that, I think his remarks on this uh, in certainly in the past month have been uh, pretty profound. Uh, I mean, he's talked about how, you know, this, this recent uh, UAP task force report um, did not say, um, it didn't attribute these things to alien technology um, because he said it would be kind of politically explosive. But he did imply that that is, in fact, the leading hypothesis for this. Um, so I think I think people really <laughs> people really need to pay attention to this topic. In my opinion, this topic is really it's the biggest story that has ever happened to humanity, um, and people people really need to pay attention to this. It's it's not a story that's going to go away, and um, and it's ultimately a story that's going to be very shocking to a lot of people. What happens next is the COVID relief bill passed in late 2020, including a nugget in which a six-month deadline 
uh, for a report uh, basically starting the clock on that. So that came, and on June 25th, the report was released from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Uh, it's very short when you take out the front page and the, you know, the, 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 the summary and everything. What was your initial reaction to that? Was there anything in there that you didn't already know, Matthew? Uh, no, there was nothing in there that I didn't already know. Uh, and, you know, in fact, I thought it was a little bit thin, uh, as I think everyone did. Uh, I, was, I was perhaps expecting a little bit more. Um, than, than what was in there. And I think that a lot of people were disappointed by this report. Um, but it, you know, it says a lot without saying a lot. Um, in other words, you know, they talk about 146 different instances in this report. And they have only one of those instances that's been explained as a deflating balloon. Right. Um, and so, you know, they have all of these categories that these things can go into. One of them is airborne clutter, it's our tech, it's adversary tech or atmospherics. And then they have this catch-all other bin, mm-hmm. which is kind of where 145 of these things fell. Yeah. And, and, and the report, in fact, says that uh, basically what they need are scientists to study this because it's beyond our understanding of physics. Um, <laughs> so I think that that is a profound statement. I mean, what, and Chris Mellon has even said, you know, I challenge anybody in science to come up with a better hypothesis than uh, the alien technology hypothesis, because that is, in fact, the leading hypothesis at this point. Exactly. It's the other bin that had me most interested as well. So that tells me that they cannot explain it all, which means all possibilities must be considered. My guest is Matthew Roberts, who was on the USS Theodore Roosevelt in 2015. Right there, where the action happened. The gimbal video, you've seen that. The Go Fast video, you've seen that. It's what we're talking about tonight. So honored to have him here on Into the Parabnormal. It's a UAP initiation of sorts. Stick with us on Into the Parabnormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Abnormal News. I'm Brad Bernards. There's apparently more to Russia's mishap at the International Space Station. Here's correspondent Daniel Brewer. Two weeks ago, Russia's research module Nauka connected to the ISS. Hours after docking, the thrusters, without explanation, began to fire and the module started to pull away, sending the space station into a tailspin of sorts. But according to NASA, the event was not too serious. In the International Space Station, going about 45 degrees out of attitude, the crew was never in any danger. The International Space Station was taken for a wild ride at one and a half revolutions, turning 
540 degrees, much more than the 45 degrees reported by the Russians. Russian flight control team who responded very quickly. The progress thrusters fired and attitude has now been regained. Officials from Russia's space agency Roscosmos have announced their intentions to build their own space station as early as 2025. This is Daniel Brewer for Paranormal News. An advanced alien civilization could modify the light coming off of stars in order to communicate across enormous distances, according to a preprint paper published last week by Imperial College London quantum physicist Terry Rudolph. According to InterestingEngineering.com, the idea is that aliens may use entangled photons from various stars to send messages that appear to be random blinking to bystanders, and while this is pure speculation, it is technically conceivable in terms of physics. Communicating via stars would explain why no evidence of life beyond Earth has ever been discovered. There's more news somewhere between abnormal and paranormal at parabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Parabnormal News. Dude, it's out of control, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, I think, dude. That's not an LNS, though, is it? It's not. It is an LNS, dude. After decades of public denial, the Pentagon now admits there's something out there. The U.S. Navy has finally acknowledged that videos appearing to show UFOs flying through the air are real. Still not sure what to believe? You're traveling into the paranormal, where the truth is not tainted. Okay, that 60-minute story you saw not too long ago. The release you've seen on the front page of newspapers. It's actually been getting quite some time when you type in UAP report, UAP task force, gimbal, go fast, tic-tac video. It's getting mainstream coverage. And... I don't think that the report of June 25th is the end. In fact, there has been some movement, I believe, towards congressional hearings. That's what I'm hearing from some of my people. What are you hearing, Matthew? Do you think that there will be congressional hearings? And if so, this year? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I certainly hope, and I have been hearing that there will be a congressional hearings. I, I don't know when those will be. Um, I, I think that, that that's going to be really complex because there's a lot going on. Um, you know, we've got an election year coming up. Uh, we've got all kinds of things going on with COVID relief and, uh, you know, economic and infrastructure bills that are happening right now. So I'm not, I'm not sure if there's an appetite for this right at the moment. Um, who knows? We'll see. 
you mentioned the reports that were mentioned in this document and the ones that cannot be explained. Furthermore, of 144 specific encounters, 80 of those were observed with multiple sensors. Can you give us some background on that, Matthew? Does that mean that basically they were picked up by more than one sensor, verifying that this wasn't just an anomaly of uh, one sensor if multiple sensors were picking them up? Yeah, sure. And I I think that what that's saying is that, uh, you know, with with like the gimbal footage, for instance, um, you know, you've got... You've got the um, IR camera that's picking up this object, but then you also have the radar on board the aircraft that's picking this up. But then you've also got, you know, radar on the ship that's picking this up. So you've got multiple different sensors there um, that are all picking up the same thing. And when you're talking about some uh, these these different multiple sensors, um, it would be almost impossible for them all to be glitchy at the same time. In other words, you know, some of them are made by different manufacturers even. It's not the same software. So to think that they would be glitching and seeing the same thing in the same place at the same time, uh, it's, it's really just not possible. Um, if you had just one sensor that was picking something up and the other sensors are saying there's nothing there, then it's probably a glitch. But if you've, if you've got these multiple sensors that are saying there is something at this location, then there's something there, you know. As far as the reporting mechanism that the Navy supposedly put in a couple of years ago, were you still uh, at the Office of uh, Naval Intelligence at that time? And, and what was your involvement, if you can speak to that at all, as far as the, the new protocols for the Navy to take these reports, I guess, a little bit more seriously? Um, you know, so I, I, my involvement was nothing. I was not involved in those talks at all. Um, I did, I, I heard rumblings of it, uh, but I, I was not involved in any way in that. But, uh, you know, apparently... Uh, Chris Mellon has, has stated recently that, you know, that the goal is to get reporting happening to this task force across all branches um, and also in terms of FAA reporting. And so what he'd like to see is all these branches reporting instances and incursions and things like that to this task force. And he's implied that uh, the Air Force is not sharing um, and that, in fact, the Air Force has, uh, you know, told their personnel that they're not to report anything to this task force, which is shocking to me. Um, uh, And I'm not sure why that is, but it's uh, that aspect of this is kind of a little bit, I think, disturbing. Um, I'm not sure who in the Air Force thinks has the authority to (laughs) kind of defy Congress on this. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Well, the Air Force is the same branch that wants us to believe, like with Project Blue Book, that these were just all weather balloons. 
Right, yeah. And so yeah, a lot of this, I think, over the years and in the past, I, you know, I don't know anything personally about this, but my suspicion is that they have been researching this uh, for a very long time. They probably know a lot, and they don't want to share. And I'm not sure why that is. Uh, but it, it, like I said, it's, we'll see what happens. Any other takeaways from the uh, the report that you think uh, are are significant, Matthew? Well, you know, I I will say this. Uh, you know, when we talk about multiple sensors, and there, there you know there are a lot of debunkers out there um, that are, <laughs> you know, God bless them. I think they're speaking out of turn because they. They don't know what these systems are. They don't know what these systems are capable of. And so they're making these debunking claims based on, you know, a 30-second or a minute-long video that they've seen. Um, but I can tell you that, and as a result of that, they would have you believe that, you know, when we have these unknowns um, come into our airspace, that somehow if we... If it's unidentified, well, that's okay. Everybody just turn out the lights and let's go to bed. You know, and, and that is not what happens in these instances. When you have a, an unidentified air track um, and it's not answering your queries, it is not, uh, all aircraft have to emanate, they have to uh, let off this emission that says, a transmission that says who they are. Um, and so if you have an air, an air contact that's not emitting that, they're not answering you on the international hailing frequencies, the first thought that would occur to anyone post 9-11 is, is this an airliner and has it been hijacked? Um, so these, these unidentified, <laughs> this, this escalates very quickly. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying, and I don't know if you're saying or others are saying that these are all alien craft, but what we are saying is we need to know what they are and, and if they do suppose, uh, pose a threat to national security or not. Right, yeah, and, uh, you know, that, that's, that's exactly right. And so these things are taken very seriously. But uh, these guys that are kind of debunking these things are, you know, they, 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 they've never been in the military. They don't understand these things, and they don't understand how it works. So they end up saying these things that are just kind of ridiculous, you know. Uh, of course, if we have an unidentified air contact that's not answering us, it's not emitting its identifier, we're going to go out and check it out. And we're not going to rest until we know what this is, you know, until we are satisfied this is not some hijacked airliner or a drug runner or something like that. Um, and, and so, you know, this, this idea that, we have based our entire our entire findings on this one little clip uh, is kind of absurd. Um, you're going to send pilots up to get a 360-degree view of this thing to, to try and figure out what's going on up there. Um, and anything less would be unacceptable. Yeah, agreed. So... What's your take on the possibility that it is foreign adversaries like China or Russia or, you know, some other country that we're not thinking of? Uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I don't believe that. 
Uh, and one of the biggest reasons I don't believe that is because we know we've been seeing these things since the 40s. Um, and so to imagine that an adversary had this technology uh, back in the 1940s, um, and, <laughs> and who would that have been in the 40s? You know, Russia, uh, I mean, maybe, but, you know, uh, China wasn't even uh, a world power at that point. Um, you know, it just, it, it, it just doesn't hold water. That theory just doesn't hold water. This technology would not be 80 years old, and, and we don't know about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. What about the possibility that, that it, that it, so it is ours, it's not from a foreign adversary, but we just can't let the cat out of the bag on it and say, yeah, it's ours, because we're trying to keep it a secret. Well, you know, the problem with that is that, uh, you know, in, in the instance of the Theodore Roosevelt, we'll take that as an example. Um, so we had this, in, this incursion that happened, um, it was picked up with multiple sensors on on our workup cycle, which you know we don't test things on our we don't test equipment like that on our own people and not have them informed. Uh, I've been a part of tests like this before. Uh, everybody knows what's going on. This isn't going to be a surprise to anyone um, because that can be very dangerous. Uh, and, and then, you know, the second aspect to that is that when we were on deployment, they came back. So we were in the Gulf when these things came back uh, and were seen around the ship. So now what you have to believe is that, you know, we were testing our own technology in a live fire scenario, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, there is no way we would put technology that was that expensive into a live fire situation where you now have jets that are taking off that have missiles, they've got live rounds, uh, all of the, they're totally armed. You know, that is a very dangerous situation. And so I, you know, that just really, that would never happen. <laughs> never happen. Uh, absolutely not. Okay, what are your thoughts on that it's ice crystals or it's moisture or it's, uh, you know, a, ref a ref refraction or reflection uh, of something? Well, you know, that goes back to the multiple sensors. Uh, you know, these sensors aren't going to be picking up weather phenomenon. You know, if you look at the Google footage, you can see on the side of the screen it says slave. And what that means is that the uh, aircraft's radar is locked onto that object and saying this object is our main target. And so automatically the IR camera is going to focus on that. And that's what slave means is that the IR camera is you now a slave to the radar. Uh, and so you won't get you won't get radar locks on clouds or atmospherics. That just doesn't happen. Good point. Um, and and I guess the other, the fifth possibility, because they do admit that there's probably not one single explanation for this, is that it's, you know, the above mentioned, like weather balloons, or it's birds, or it's debris, and that maybe it's just, uh, you know, these pilots are mistaking what they're seeing. 
yeah, you know, I, 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 I really, I, I, although that that is possible in some of these cases, there's no way it's possible in all of them. I mean, these pilots are trained observers. They have, and I, I think Lou Elizondo, I watched an interview with him recently, and he was talking about how these pilots, they have cards, you know, where they have to memorize the silhouettes of different types of aircraft so that they, it, as soon as they see an aircraft, they can identify, you know, that's a, that's a MiG-22 or, or whatever type of aircraft that is uh, just based on its silhouette. Uh, so these guys are, are really trained observers, uh, and you know they've seen they've seen weather balloons, they've seen uh, garbage floating through the sky, um, and I don't think that a lot of pilots would be easily confused uh, between these things. To be honest with you, Matthew, do you think this has reached a? a- a political issue, or is it just that it's just a bureaucratic issue? And no matter who's in office, uh, you know, there's going to be the constant stonewalling and the lack of really full disclosure. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I, I would like to, I mean, I think that there are people at the Pentagon now who, that there are people who want this to come out. Um, and I think there are always going to be those forces that don't, for whatever reason. Um, you know, maybe because they, you know, they've been working in Intel their entire lives, so the thought of declassifying this and releasing it to the public kind of just gives them the heebie-jeebies. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but I, you know, I, I think it's it's time. I, I think we need to start talking about this. We need to start taking it seriously. Um, and the only way to do that is to get this information out there. Um, and so I I am a proponent of full disclosure because this has to do with all of us. This is about all of us as, as, a, as a human race. And so I, I kind of view it as unacceptable that anyone would want to keep that behind closed doors. You know what I mean? If, if the government knew something was out there and it has the potential to harm you, you would want them to let you know that, right? I mean, I, I think it goes without question. And I, I don't think that this, this issue is any different. I, I think that uh, we just need to uh, bring it out into the light. Time. Matthew, in the final minutes that we have left in this hour, can you tell us what led to your decision to end your 16-year career in, in military service? Uh, well, you know, the biggest the biggest thing that bothered me was that, you know, I I, I thought that maybe maybe in, in coming out and publicly telling my story that it would help to normalize and destigmatize this topic um, because if you hear someone that worked in Intel for 16 years that had a top secret security clearance. Um, and, and you're out here saying these things that are just unbelievable, maybe that'll make you second guess whether or not it's unbelievable, you know? Yeah, and that's important because you had a lot to lose um, by doing this. It doesn't necessarily go well for everybody who, who tends to go this route. Oh, no, and, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, it hasn't gone well. 
work that well for me either. I mean, I, I, I was, I was like making six figures, you know, and I could have kept that job and I could have, uh, gotten my pension in four years and then kept working in similar kind of job at O&I and continued making six figures for the rest of my life on top of my pension. But I understand this topic, um, goes well above and beyond myself. Um, and so now, now I, as a student, I make about $700 a month um, while I'm going to school. And so I have taken a huge pay cut. I have members of my family that will no longer speak to me. Um, and none of that bothers me. None of it bothers me at all because I know, I know that what I experienced was real. Um, and I know that all of this is real and people need to know that. Um, and so that is, that is the price that I will pay, um, to try and destigmatize this topic because that's ultimately what needs to happen. So, so Matthew's one of those people that I've always talked about when I generically speak about, well, why would these people ever come out and, and say these things? Because they do have so much to lose. And Matthew's told you how much he has lost just to get us to this point. And I got to tell you, friends, his story has only just begun. We'll continue with Matthew Roberts on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott on this Saturday night. Matthew's book, Initiated, UAP, Dreams, Depression, Delusions, Shadow People, Psychosis, Sleep Paralysis, and Pandemics, to give you an idea of where we're headed. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. We shall continue. Don't go very far, friends. At least uh, make it back in one piece. All right? studio door on a night like this just to, uh, you know, see if there's any uh, rattling of the door handle or uh, any strange lights coming through from the exterior. My guest, Matthew Roberts tonight, and he was on the USS Theodore Roosevelt 2015 when the gimbal event happened. And Matthew, uh, please remind the audience, for those who may just be tuning in now, where on the East Coast were you stationed at the time this happened? Yeah, so I, as a part of the Theater Roosevelt, we were stationed out of uh, Norfolk in 2015. Um, Norfolk, Virginia. 
And so the events of both what are portrayed in the gimbal and the GoFast video happened uh, from the vantage point of the USS Theodore Roosevelt. Is that correct? Yes. Uh Mm -hmm. So the Theodore Roosevelt was responsible for two out of these three videos that that came out. Uh, Matthew, what has it been like uh, since you decided to leave the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence? Uh, What has it been like uh, in terms of... um well, I mean, you know, it, it, it has not been easy. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I have, you know, I, I put my book out there because this issue was so incredibly complex. And I thought, you know, the only way I'm going to be able to describe uh, my interactions with the phenomenon is to just write a book. But, you know, I've gotten all kinds, I get hate mail about how I'm a snake oil salesman. <laughs> um, uh you know, and people leaving just bad comments in my inbox. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and in light of all of that, and, and in light of the fact that I took an enormous pay cut, uh, I am still out there talking about this. Um, and, you know, people say, oh, you're just cashing in, uh, you've written this book, but uh, this this book does not pay me <laughs> uh, nearly the amount of my salary while I was in the Navy. Uh, and not to mention the fact that, you know, I had health insurance when I was in the Navy. You know, anything that went wrong with me, I'd just go to medical, you know, and I now I don't have any health insurance. Um, I have nothing. Uh so, you know, uh, people would look at that and say, well, you know, it, it was probably a mistake um, to come forward. But I, I, I disagree because I understand how profound the experiences I had were, and I understand that they were real. Um, and so I just, I could not justify in my own mind just kind of sit, sitting back and and allowing this to maybe go back behind closed doors. I needed to, I needed to come out and uh, tell my truth about this. And, you know, what makes it worth it for me is that some people will come across my book and, you know, they'll message me and they'll say, oh my gosh, you know, I just had this very same experience and I thought I was going crazy, you know, um, and I know I'm not. And reading your book, now I, I understand what's happened to me. Um, and, you know, I, the reason I call it initiated is because, you know, these encounters are, in fact, an initiatory experience. Um, they're initiating you into something. Uh, so... And I'm not the only one that thinks this. I mean, I've met so many people that have been through this same thing since I got out and wrote this book. Uh, It's absolutely incredible. Um, And and none of this is creepy, right? Um, So this is all just the next step in human evolution. Um, And that's the way we should think about it. Um, None of it is creepy. None of it is... Well, I hate to say abnormal because it's kind of like <laughs> kind of like your show. Oh, come but. on, you want to admit it's abnormal. 
Yeah, but you know, it's, I, I, I view this now as just a natural aspect of the natural universe in which we live. And, uh, and it's as simple as that. So the other topics that you discuss in, in the book, are, are you making some sort of connection uh, to the, the UAP experiences? Yes. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I immediately kind of connected the two um, because, <laughs> because I was, I was kind of familiar, you know, just being a normal human with a TV, you kind of hear about these kind of stories that people have, even though I would kind of roll my eyes and change the channel. But, uh, you know, the, the first instance that I had of a non-human entity in my room at night was, um, so I'll, I'll just go through the whole event, and I'll tell you what happened. I was sleeping one night, and I felt something grab my arm. And uh, so I kind of opened my eyes, and I was laying on my back, and I immediately thought, oh, I must have snored myself awake because I, I never sleep on my back because um, that's what always happens when I do sleep on my back. So I'm looking off at my window off to the left, and all of a sudden it starts to get blurry. Like, I'm looking at the trim, and it's going blurry. So I try to lift my hands in my face to kind of wipe the sleep out of my eyes, and it just flopped at my side. I could not move. Uh, I realized that I was paralyzed. And then I thought, hmm, you know, somebody, I woke up actually because someone's grabbing my arm, and I can still feel them there. I can still feel that hand on my arm. So I, I kind of thought to turn my head to the right to see who was standing over me. And as I did that, my room got blurrier. And um, so I'm staring at this, like, shadow uh, and outline, a silhouette of, like, a torso, two arms and a head kind of hunched over me. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, I should be terrified because there's somebody in my room right now. Uh, standing over me, but for some reason I'm not. Um, and so, you know, all of a sudden my room starts to light up in this golden light uh, that seems to be coming from behind this entity. Uh, and then this golden light it becomes very bright and blinding, and then all of a sudden it concentrates into these rays of light extending from its head. And, um, just then, like this image appeared over its face. It was like, it's almost like there was a, a tablet in front of its face, and it started flipping through images of people that I knew. Um, and then it stopped on the image of an ex of mine from 20 years ago. And I thought, yeah, in looking at all this, I'm thinking, what is going on? And this is so bizarre. And then I start to lose consciousness. Um, and I, I start having a dream and it is a, you know, it's a sexual dream with my ex and I, uh, from 20 years ago. And it's just me and my ex and we are surrounded by absolutely nothing. It's just pitch black. There's no, there's no bed, there's no ground, there's no nothing. And so this dream is going on and then I start to wake up and I'm back in my room and I can see that there is this 
female on top of me, um, and she is having sex with me. And my hands are on her thighs, and I can feel that her skin is, um, you know, much thicker and smoother than normal human skin. And I can see that her skin is like this powder blue color. And so I immediately thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, there's got to be, like, a craft parked in the backyard that she came here in. I immediately just put that together, you know, because I knew that she was not a human just based on the texture of her skin. There was just no way. I've never felt skin like that on a human before. <laughs> and it was smooth. It was like, it was like, there was like no hair or it didn't seem to have follicles or anything. So I, you know, I start to pan up towards her head and her face is blurred out. I couldn't see it. Um, for whatever reason, I could not see her face. Uh, and I think that that was more her doing. She wasn't going to let me see her face for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know if it was that she didn't look very human and she didn't want me to see that or what, but uh, I couldn't see it. So I'm in and out of this dream state back in my room several times. Um, and then I woke up the next morning and I just, I thought to myself, what just happened? What was that last night? You know, that, that is, whatever that was, it was ridiculous. And I started to think, you know, I've, I've basically been raped here, you know, and this was totally against my will. Um, and then I started to think about that light show, and I was thinking about how that looks like religious art from all over the world, you know, where they show some divine god or goddess or something, and they've got light behind them, or what were like rays of light coming out of their head. And so I thought to myself, this has been going on for a very long time. Uh, and I, my immediate thought was that, you know, it was kind of a nightmare that this is going on. Like, what is this all about? You know, but I, you know, I soon, you know, came up, I, I kind of had the courage to keep going with this. And I thought, well, you know, this has got to be some kind of teaching experience, you know, and I'm learning something here. And so I thought to myself, you know, there's got to be something more to this if this has been going on for perhaps thousands of years throughout the course of humanity all over the world. Um, you know, and and that, was, that was clear to me just from that light show. You know, that light show, that was like, that was, that was the, big, the big thing that just told me that this has been going on for very, very long. And, and so I kind of wanted to get to the bottom of that. I wanted to understand why, you know? So I, I, uh, I kind of isolated myself. Um, before this incident, I had another kind of paranormal occurrence in which this book just kind of um, appeared in my life. It was, it was a cult book called The Kabbalion. And I came to be reading it through this series of 
coincidences that happened one day, but it was it was like a series of impossible coincidences to the point that it was actually frightening um, that brought this book into my life. So I decided, well, you know, I'm going to read this a few more times and, and see. And, and then, it, then, you know, this person that wrote this book, it's called The Kabbalion by the Three Initiates. And so I thought, you know, this, this author must have written other books, you know, and so I looked, looked up the author. It was a guy named William Walker Atkinson, and sure enough, he had written something like 105 other books on this topic. So I started digging into those, and uh, there was another woman who had published books with him named Mabel Collins, and these, these books are all, like, over 100 years old. Um, I think they, they both died sometime in the 1930s. Uh, they, you know, the books they talk about, you know, this process. And so I was thinking, one of the books is called Light on the Path by Mabel Collins. And she describes this process. And, and I had had this depression that had set in. It was this just deep depression because I couldn't talk to anybody about this. You know, I, I thought, if I talk to anybody about this, they're going to think I'm crazy, you know. So I, I didn't. I kind of kept it to myself and decided I was just going to get to the bottom of it silently for myself. Um, so that's what I did. I, I, like, isolated myself with these books. I only went to work, and then I would come home and start reading. I continued to have experiences where they would take me from my room at night, um, like once or twice a week. The first time it happened, I thought, you know, I, I thought that, well, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe I didn't get taken. But, but the way it happened was that I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was laying on my right side and I saw the comforter that was over me being thrown over me onto the floor. And this female voice said, shh, don't be afraid. And I kind of started to drift back to sleep. Um, and I could, as I'm falling asleep, I can feel my body sliding across the bed towards the wall. And the first night this happened, I was like, well, let me take a look at my mattress. And sure enough, it was like off the box spring by about four inches um, in the direction of the wall. So. And I knew it wasn't like that the night before because I'm kind of a very, you know, orderly person. Things have to be just so. And so there's no way that I would have allowed that. You, you know? learned and that so uh, knew, from the Navy, didn't you, Matthew? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's one of the things is that the Navy will teach you this attention to detail. And that was something that I realized helped me in this process. Um, anyway, so, you know, all of this was going on. I, it, the depression got so intense that I would come home from work and I would just lay on the floor of my bedroom. I would be shivering. Uh, my teeth would be chattering. Um, and that was, and, and that was it. That was all I could do. Um, it, it was, it was intense. And, and there was this constant fear that they were going to come for me in the middle of the night. I was having constant nightmares. So, you know, it just, 
it, it was after several months of this, I would wake up, you know, to the sound of a woman screaming in my house, uh, even though there's no female in the house that was living there. Um, I would wake up to bang on the walls, footsteps. You know, it was just very, very creepy. Um, it, it was a creepy time for me, for sure. Um, and so I had reached this point in reading these books and stuff, and and people call it Light on the Path, talks about how, you know, you have to cultivate attention, you have to uh, do away with the idea that you need comfort. And these were all things that I did in the military, you know, because you know, you're living on top of other people. Um, you're, you're on this tiny ship, or it's a big ship, but there's a lot of people. So you're literally, like, living on top of each other. There's bunks stacked three high, four high sometimes. So, I mean, there's no privacy. There's no comfort. You just kind of have to deal with that, and you have to be okay with it. Uh, so, you know, I, I decided one day that it was just becoming too much. You know, I couldn't, I realized that I, I, I felt like I couldn't keep going. You know, I was like, I, this is, I am giving up on this. I'm going to throw these books in the garbage. You know, I've been going through this for months and I can't take anymore. Um, so I, I, I was giving up at that point. I had made up my mind. It was over. You know, it was just too much. So I went to bed that night. Um, I, I was fairly angry when I went to bed that night. I, uh, I don't know how I fell asleep <laughs> that angry. Because normally I'm the kind of guy that I, I don't have mood swings. You know, I was just always kind of very middle of the road with my emotions and my moods. I, I didn't have really high highs. I didn't have really low lows. So the fact that I was in this deep depression was something that was new to me. I had never experienced that before. Um, and so, you know, I just made up my mind, I'm, I'm done. Uh, and that night I woke up with this, with that familiar heavy feeling. And I was so angry, I, I like wanted to punch something. But I was paralyzed again, of course. And so I'm, I opened my eyes, I'm in my room. And I'm laying there on my right side, looking across my nightstand, and then my room starts to come into focus, and I can see that there's this um, small man standing there uh, next to my nightstand. He's probably like three, three and a half feet tall. Um, he's got like a locked beard. It's white, and he's got like locked white hair. Looks very clean. But he looked like uh, a yard gnome, uh, for lack of better words to describe him. Um, but he was wearing his glasses. And um, I saw many of them that wore these glasses. And I could see he was looking at me, and I could see this slight glow in the glass. It was like a, the cherry on the end of a cigarette. I don't know what that is. I guess it's these glasses or some kind of technology that allows them to see something. I don't know what, though. But uh, so 
so he he woke me up and he's like, you know, he tells me telepathically his lips don't move. He says, don't give up, keep going. And then he put me back to sleep. So the next morning I woke up and I was like, you know what, he he's probably right. <laughs> you know, I mean, he must know something that I don't know. I started to think about they got all this tech. You know, they probably know better than I do what this is all about. I don't understand it. I'm trying to, but I, I, I don't get it. So uh, I, I thought, Matthew, we'll continue our program. Matthew Roberts is my guest, and he was on the USS Theodore Roosevelt in 2015, which is where the gimbal and the GoFast videos initiated or originated from. And he's author of the book, Initiated. It's a UFO initiation tonight on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Abnormal News. I'm Brad Bernards. A team of astronomers have discovered two giant rocks containing organic matter in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. The New York Times reports that the rocks, measuring 70 to 35 miles across, display an astonishing bright red glow that's far redder than any other known object in our solar system, meaning they have a lot of organics, perhaps the building blocks of life on Earth. A paper published in the Astrophysical Journal Letters last week suggests that 203 Pompeia and 269 Eustidia came from a very cold environment, likely with ice on its surface. If confirmed, the rocks could prove possible planetary movements in the past, which in turn could explain how our solar system may have been formed. For Paranormal News, this is Daniel Brewer. It's time again for one of the biggest meteor showers of the year. The Perseids are already showing up in our night skies. And when they peak in mid-August, it's likely to be one of the most impressive sky-watching opportunities for a while. Preston Dykes at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory tells us about the sky show. This annual meteor shower happens each year as Earth crosses the debris trail of comet Swift-Tuttle. Most of these meteors are grains of dust up to the size of a pea, and they create fabulous shooting stars as they burn up in Earth's atmosphere. According to NASA, if you're in the northern hemisphere, you might spot more than 40 Perseids an hour. If you're in a city, you may only see a few every hour. The night of August 12th and 13th will be another great opportunity to see the Perseids. With a full moon and lower meteor activity during the Perseids' peak in 2022 and a waning crescent high in the sky for 2023, this might be your best chance to do some summer sky watching for a few years. There's more news somewhere between abnormal and paranormal at paraabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Paraabnormal News. installations and no one knows what it is and it isn't ours so for me that's logical you want to know what it is I and mean, it's common sense right if stuff's flying over the top of your most sensitive installations and it's not ours and no one knows whose it is you should find out what it is and tell us the Navy has acknowledged that the release of these newly declassified videos prompted the development of new guidelines for how pilots should report sightings of unauthorized or unidentified aircraft. that looks like a 40 foot long tic tac with no wings 
vehicles uh, operating in restricted military airspace with impunity uh, on a recurring and sustained basis uh, for many years. A new task force to investigate UFOs that have been observed and filmed by U.S. military aircraft. Searching for the truth, asking the hard questions as we ponder what could be. You're traveling into the paranormal. Into the paranormal Saturday nights. That's his spots to be midnight on FM News 101 KXL. We appreciate every one of you who came up and said hello at Squatch Fest last weekend up in the Longview Kelso area. And uh, we'll be back there up in January of 2022. Can't wait to do that again. And we hope to be at UFO Fest in McMinnville at the end of uh, September. So we'll have more information uh, on that still to come. My guest is Matthew Roberts. He was stationed on board the USS Theodore Roosevelt in 2015 during the now infamous Gimbal event. Had 16 years in naval intelligence. Retired in March of last year. Has written the book Initiated. And he's been telling his story. Uh, I believe where you left us, uh, Matthew, you were talking about the technology and trying to understand it all. Yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't that I was necessarily trying to understand the technology. I was just trying to understand why they were having this contact with humanity and what what's the point of all of that. Um, and so I... You know, through my experiences, what I began to understand was that uh, this was an initiatory experience. I'm not the only one that thought that. You know, John Mack, who was um, the head of uh, psychology at Harvard, writes about how this is an initiatory experience. Um, so I, you know, this is not just my own <laughs> my own opinion. Um, of course, I didn't know that until afterwards, uh, and when I started reading up on all of this stuff. So, you know, I, 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 what happened is, uh, you know, this experience was very painful, very raw, very um, scary, and so I, I, I knew that I had to keep going, but I couldn't continue with all of this fear and 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 paranoia that I was having every night, all night long, because it was killing me. Uh, after months of this, I just, I could not take that anymore. So, you know, being in the Navy and in the military <clears throat> and being in such close quarters with people, you kind of learn to shut things off. You know, you can just shut an emotion off um, because you kind of have to. Um, there's no other way to live and to get along with everyone that, that you're, you're living in such close quarters with unless you can learn to do this. So so that's what I decided to do. I was like, you know, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be paranoid. I'm just going to let this happen, and we'll see where it goes. You know, but, I, but as far as emotion, I'm not going to put any more emotion into this. I'm done with that. So once I did that, um, that was when, you know, everything kind of changed. And uh, that, that, in terms of an initiatory experience, what happens is that there's there's this tearing down in the beginning, and then towards the end, there's a building back up. And so once I moved past all the fear 
and, and there, that was when everything changed and it became this building up experience where I started to, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but I guess because of the topics that you, <laughs> that we discuss on your show, yeah, it's no. okay to talk about this. Nothing's crazy so here. I, it's all paranormal. Yeah, so I started to have dreams where, you know, I would see these beings in my dreams. We would do things like uh, leading departed souls into the light, things like that. Um, and it was just kind of like a, um, it became like this, this almost religious experience after that. Um, which kind of makes sense because, you know, in retrospect, like a whole light show, I could see how this this experience that I was experiencing was, in fact, the basis for all the world's religions. Um, and that's why it had these undertones of that. Um, but what I came to understand was that this was an initiation into higher consciousness. So when I returned... You know, I, I, I kind of had this awakening where I started to feel really good. Like I, and then I started to feel better than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And then I started to realize I can feel the emotions of other people around me. I can feel the emotions of bugs and trees and everything else. And, um, that was when I realized that, you know, the, the stuff that I had come across in the Kabbalion that talks about how the universe is a singular consciousness and that you can connect with that. Um, then it started to all make sense. Um, and then I read another book called um, "The Way uh, When the Sun Moves Northward, The Way of Initiation by Mabel Collins. And she talks about how this experience was actually what um, brought us this idea of death and resurrection, right? So there's this death and then a rebirth at the end. Um, so just as an initiatory experience, there's, uh, you know, the tearing down and the building up. It's, it's all the same stuff. And I was, you know, my father was a professor at a university and he loved mythology. So he was always talking about it. And he was t always talking about uh, Joseph Campbell, who came up with this idea that, you know, these stories that are told all over the world through mythology are all the same story. It's the hero's journey. And it's, so this is the oldest story that's ever been told. And in fact, it's not only told in Europe and Asia, but also he found that and this was the strange thing for him is that he found it in the Americas, which were supposed to be isolated from the rest of the world. And yet they're telling the same story of the hero's journey. And why is that? Um, and that seems to be also a theme of running theme in religions. You know, the death and resurrection uh, is another theme. Um, so that's when I came to realize that that's, that was it. You know, and it has been going on forever in, throughout the course of human history. But I also recognized how I got there, you know, and the Navy was a big part of that, being in the military, because I 
a lot of these things that seem to be a part of this, like getting rid of the idea of com that you need comfort, um, attention to detail, concentration. Those are all things that I had cultivated in the military. So a lot of people, you know, will say that they're interacting with their military, but I really believe that it's more about the personnel than it is the equipment or, or you know, the technology. Um, I think our, our technology is nothing to them. Um, what they're looking for is people who have cultivated these things because they can put these people through this initiatory process whereby they come to know the true nature of the universe for themselves. Um, and that's, that is the profound thing about this. And I realize that that sounds like a big, bold statement, but, uh, but it's the truth. Um, and I'm not the only one in the military that's had this experience either. I know that there are others. I've talked to others. And it is my hope that one day that they will come forward as well. A fair amount of service members have come forward uh, who have uh, told their experiences, and um, you're hearing one of them tonight here on this program. His name is Matthew Roberts, and you mentioned the, the comments of Christopher Mellon earlier, and as far as that leading hypothesis, with, which is that it is aliens, I mean, that is the leading hypothesis, do you think there will be a time when mainstream media... We'll catch on to that? I, I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I think that what's holding people back now is just the stigma. Uh, I really think that that's why, you know, mainstream media is kind of not, not really picking up on this. Also, I think it's kind of a, to some people, it's kind of a cringy topic, right? I remember I was watching um, a piece that was done on a popular morning show about the UAP and the task force and all of that. And when they left the news desk and went back to the regular anchor, she was kind of cringing in her face and she's like, mm, you know, I think, I think I would rather not know. And I really had the impression that she probably wished she could just unsee that last 15 minutes of story. You know, she does not want to know. Uh, because it's kind of, I, and I think that a lot of people realize that what this means is going to be ultimately something much larger uh, than themselves. And so I think a lot of people feel like they aren't ready for that. Um, but I think there's no time like the present um, to start looking into it and digging into it for yourself. Because anybody can do what I did. Um, and my next book is going to be about human psychology, because that was one of the big things that I learned in this whole experience. I had dreams where I would sit down with this guy who was a union psychoanalyst that had died a year before my experiences began. His name was Robert Moore. And he was sitting down with me in my dreams, and he was teaching me about human psychology. And I've since read all of his books, um, and I think he was right on with all of it. Uh, so, so that's going to be the next book. Um, you know, just kind of, uh, yeah, a, a description of the things that you can apply to your everyday life that will propel you into this psychological change. 
um, that will allow you to know for yourself. So, Matthew, uh, did you talk with others at the Office of National uh, Naval Intelligence, rather, about your experiences, and were were they able to validate uh, those, or how were those conversations like? Yeah, so, you know, I I did. I stopped. And there, there was a point at which, you know, where, uh, where, I, where I began to understand what this was all about when I experienced the awakening process. And that was when I decided to start talking about it at work. Um, so it, you know, it kind of caught people's attention. Um, there was one guy that kind of took me aside and he was like, Hey, you know, not that I don't believe you, but I want you to go see a psychologist just to make sure you're okay after everything you've been through. And so I went and talked to the psychologist and, um, I kind of unloaded all of this on him. He knew I worked at O&I. I showed him this footage, you know, that had been taken, that I was on this ship where this had happened. And, you know, after several sessions, um, uh, the last session I was leaving him, and he's like, you know, he's like, who are you working with on this? You need to be working with someone on this because everything you're telling me is making sense. Uh, so... He, he did not think I was crazy at all, you know, and he's like, you need to write a book or something. Um, so I did. And, uh, you know, insofar as the people at home and I, I can tell you that there was no one that thought I was crazy, um, which I think is, is saying a lot. Um, and I'll kind of let you draw your own conclusions from that. <laughs> I, you know, I'm at the point that I, I, I never want to work for the government again. I'm not going to work on this topic for the government again. This is not something for the government. This is for all of us, uh, regardless of our nationality. Uh, we are all human. We are all we have. And we, we need to just stop lying about this. Um, and, and that's where I am at this point. Um, and there was no one there that did not take my story seriously. Did you feel that others had had similar experiences, whether they shared them with you or not? Yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, and I know that there are several other people that have had the same experience that I had. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, someday they will come forward. Um, and that's my hope. And if anybody out there is listening to this and they've been through this and they were in the military, you know, I feel free to reach out and contact me. I'll get you on the radio, you know, I'll get you on this show. Um, but, but what we really need to do is talk about this. We will never reduce the stigma unless we talk about it. Precisely. And uh, it can't. It certainly has to be one of those subjects that we take seriously uh, when we discuss it as well. Matthew, tell us about your book and your upcoming uh, appearances as well. I know you'll be appearing at uh, MUFON and and uh, International UFO Congress as well. Yeah, so I'm going to be at uh, the MUFON Symposium in Las Vegas, August 27th to the 29th. I'll also be at the International UFO Congress in Phoenix, September 8th through the 12th. Uh, my book, initiated by Matthew Roberts, you can just Google out. It's available on Amazon. Um, I've got uh, a hardback copy, and I've got a digital copy as well for your Kindle. Um, I'm working on 
a uh, an audio book for that. And I'm also, like I said, working on the second book about psychology um, that you can apply to your everyday life to uh, propel you to this point. Matthew, we had some folks who were just joining us late. They wanted to know if you could give them a quick summary of the experiences that you had. And I think uh, safe to say you, you had had experiences there on the USS Theodore Roosevelt. And then you started to have these experiences with non-human inten- uh, entities uh, in your room. Uh, are those continuing experiences? And how many of those uh, have you had, you think? Well, yeah, they, they, they are continuing Um some of them seem to be like medical checkups uh, to me. Um, others, others are dreams. Clearly, um, yeah. My mother and my brother both uh, passed away. Um, my brother passed away in 2010, and my mother passed away in 2015. And knowing what I know now about the universe and it and the way that it operates, I know that there's no such thing as death. And I have had contact with both of them um, in dream states since then, um, and very recently, in fact. Because, um, you know, I was getting a lot of flack for this book at one point, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take this down. I don't need this. You know, I'm going to take it off the Amazon and just forget it. Um, but I had a dream that night, and my mother was like, you know, don't you dare. Don't you dare to book down. So I, I, I didn't, and um, I, I left it up, um, and so it's still available. Um, but, you know, that's my mom. <laughs> I thought she would have said she was alive, too. So, um, so yeah. It's a lot of courage to share your story. I appreciate you doing it here tonight, Matthew. It's an honor to um, have you on the program. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Absolutely. And um, as far as that whole initiation thing, we have heard that of other people who believe that they were chosen to have these experiences. Not everybody can handle these experiences, and each person handles them differently. And some people are meant to have these experiences for one reason or another. We know that some people do have healing experiences sometimes when they have these encounters. But we know it's the complete opposite for others as well. Sometimes it can be a traumatic experience. And we've heard everything on either side and in between here on this program. There's something at play here. And I think if you're paying attention and if your mind is open and you're receptive to the possibility that we're not alone, the evidence is not too far out there. You don't have to reach too far out to grasp it. If your mind is closed to that reality, there's no amount of evidence, no matter how close it is, that will suffice. I'm Jeremy Scott, and I always love talking with you on Saturday nights. I never take it for granted the time that you afford me. And we'll talk again with you next Saturday night. It's going to be hot out there, so we wish all of you well, and hopefully you will take the uh, proactive measures you need to keep yourself cool because we're definitely dealing with some uh, unseasonably warm 
weather. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, keep your mind open, everyone, and good night. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.